You are listening to The Current Daily, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Tuesday, July 14th, and that means it's Bastille Day, or French Independence Day. And we know you're listening, Pierre Ouillet. This episode is dedicated to you. We'll have more on Bastille Day in just a bit. Also coming up is an interview with Dr. Karen Flammer from Teaching and Learning Commons. But before that, we have some updates. The University of California has filed a lawsuit against the recent decree that international students must leave the country if they aren't attending any in-person classes. The UC lawsuit joins many other, including, I think at this point, 17 states, and also including a combo suit by the Cal State System and the Community College System. We'll keep you updated as best we can. Also starting yesterday, people began to receive invites for asymptomatic COVID-19 tests administered through UC San Diego Health. Some of the instructions and protocols are pretty individualized, so we may not be posting much on the current, so check your email. But we can report that as of yesterday, the tests are being conducted at several sites countywide on a drive-through basis. So check that email and see if that one came through. Now, as a bit of a primer to this interview that I conducted with Karen Flammer from Teaching and Learning Commons. We are going to talk a little bit about another learning management system. If you recall from the Canvas discussion, the learning management system is a content delivery platform where teachers can put their content for students to get assignments, turn in assignments, read lectures, and so forth. It's a it's a way to organize the content of a course online. But our conversation starts off a little bit more with a foundational understanding of what UC San Diego is doing for online courses moving forward, what the benefits of online instruction are, and how they're different from in-person instruction. And I like how that provides a bit of a foundation before we dive into the platform itself. So that should get you ready for our conversation. This is all really great information for all of us at ITS to know, so I hope you enjoy it. I'm very happy to go outside the bounds of ITS to our friends at the Teaching and Learning Commons, or the Commons, to bring on board Dr. Karen Flammer, who's going to talk to us about another learning management system called Open edX, but we'll also talk about nomenclature over the course of this conversation. But first of all, let's say hi. Hello, Karen. How are you? Hi, Miguel. Uh, great to talk to you, and I'm doing well. Thank you. That's great. That's great. You know what? To get started, why don't you just let us know how you've been doing over the last few months of campus exile? Yeah, well, you know what? I think I've been too busy to even keep track of the time that we've been spending in this remote situation. Ever since everybody left the campus, we have been supporting faculty, instructors in teaching remotely. And recently, a lot of our effort is, though, to be creating more fully online courses which has been my goal now in this role for the last few years is to really strengthen, increase, broaden the portfolio that our campus has of online courses. And I think that this pandemic 
mm-hmm. has made administration and a lot of instructors realize that it's, you know, having that is an important part of being educationally resilient, having fully developed high quality online courses that can be taught and offered anytime because they're already developed and all they need is an instructor to facilitate them. So that's a lot of our effort this summer is to create about a dozen fully online courses that we can use throughout next year. The pandemic can shape opinions about it one way or the other. You're not calling what we did in the spring online education. We're trying to use different nomenclature in order to say, this is not what we mean when we say online education. So in this case, words matter very much. And I have been on the soapbox from the beginning. I actually even corrected the chancellor in a, in a meeting with him that what happens in the spring was what I call emergency remote teaching. It was instructors that only had familiarity with teaching face-to-face having to quickly pivot to teaching remotely. And face-to-face instruction does not directly translate to online instruction. (laughs) And so there's a large difference between emergency remote teaching or even just remote teaching and creating, again, pedagogically well-designed, backwards-designed. The learning experience for an online learner is very, very different than face-to-face instruction. You know, most faculty, unless they've wanted to create an online course, have not had the training, have not worked with instructional designers, haven't had the opportunity to understand the difference. And so I think our faculty did extremely well switching to remote instruction. Some people had never used Zoom before, had never recorded lectures, you know, so, that, so great strides were made, but still the end result is still remote teaching, not fully designed online courses. At the beginning, when we were doing our Keep Teaching page, Mm-hmm. There was a lot of conversation around synchronous instruction versus asynchronous instruction while doing this remote teaching thing. And a lot of instructors really wanted to have a synchronous element for their lectures. I'm wondering what you've seen, if you've seen instructors change their tune about that a little bit, or is it similar to what we saw in the spring? Again, I think this has been a growth mindset about this. I, I think in the spring, we, we told instructors that even if they wanted to deliver all their lectures synchronously, they had to record them and make them available asynchronously for students that were in different time zones, students that were struggling with health issues or caretaking issues. And so I think instructors did that. But the main reason for thinking you, you want to deliver things synchronously is really for the student engagement. Faculty are used to standing in front of a class real time, being able to look at either the students' faces or occasionally, you know, get hands raised. For designing online courses or, you know, quality and remote teaching, there's other ways that you can design in, even with asynchronous lectures, you can design in opportunities for engagement. You know, you can pause after a three to five minute video and put in a polling question. You can pause after a video and put in a discussion prompt that makes students either reflect on what was just covered or exchange with other students on a certain prompt having to do with what was just covered. And so I I think that some of this has been an education that teaching can be asynchronous. Students can watch lectures with a little bit more design and pedagogy around packaging an asynchronous lecture. 
Well, now that we got some of those topics, I, I think we've built a foundation for the main topic of why I wanted to talk to you, <laughs> which is open edX. This has been something you have been personally working on for a long time. And I do know that as a learning management system, we are branding it a certain way within UC San Diego. So first of all, can you talk about how we're branding open edX? And also, you know, we just had an episode about Canvas and how Canvas is our campus LMS. I'm betting a lot of ITS folks are wondering, well, if we have Canvas, what's this other thing? Great. That's a great question. So as everyone knows, yes, Canvas is our our campus LMS. Canvas, though, can only be used for credit-bearing courses for our matriculated students. And, you know, as you know, there's a lot of interest from faculty and researchers to actually get content and scholarship out to a broader global audience beyond just matriculated students. I equate this to the reason why a lot of our faculty and researchers publish, right? They publish textbooks or they can publish digital media as a way of getting their knowledge, their work, their scholarship out there beyond just within the confines of UC San Diego. So we did not have another platform besides Canvas. We in the past have partnered with edX and Coursera to develop courses that are more open and serve a global audience, but we did not have our own platform to develop professional development courses, training courses, enrichment courses that can be offered to our students, but additionally, to learners all over the world. And so the Open edX platform, which is called UC San Diego Online, available at online.ucsd.edu, is there to serve that purpose. We've integrated a, a payment system. It's basically self-enroll. UC San Diego affiliates can enroll with their AD credentials, and then outside learners can just enroll, make an account on the online.ucsd platform and either take courses as auditors for free or they can pay for courses that have that available and complete them successfully and earn what the platform calls a statement of accomplishment. So it's really broadened the access to our scholarship beyond just matriculated students. And to keep the branding going from this point on, I will be calling it UC San Diego Online. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And I also want to say for some of the ITS folks listening who are a little bit more on the tech end than the pedagogy end, both Canvas or UC San Diego Online really are the platforms or the infrastructure that we can have in place to create these courses in an online environment that can be more engaging, just as you were discussing earlier. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, right now, again, we just a couple months ago launched the first course now on the platform, and we're getting learners from many, many different countries. It's the Bending the Curve, Climate Change Solutions, Ramanathan's. It's the first course of a four-part series. He has a similar course that's on Canvas, available to um, UC San Diego students through SIO and PolySci, but he wanted to get this knowledge, the climate change solutions knowledge out to as many learners at different levels, ages all over the world. And the UC San Diego online platform is 
really well suited for that. So we're starting to build the portfolio there. We've launched four courses on computer science education for K-12 to train teachers to be able to teach computer science. A great platform because computer teachers all over the country, all over the world can sign up for these courses. And we're, you know, we expect over the next year or two to really be growing the number of courses and the number of different types of courses on the platform. It's really interesting you talked about the one course that has material both on UC San Diego Online as well as on Canvas. So do you foresee a lot of instructors doing that or will every instructor be able to have the choice to use one, the other, or both? I think instructors will continue to use Canvas for our, the, you know, the courses listed in the course catalog for our matriculated students. I think that it's, there's benefits to getting students familiar with Canvas going to one place. I, I think over time, we're going to be integrating more Open edX and Canvas so that uh, suppose an instructor has a open course on Open edX on the UC San Diego Online that they're offering, again, to a real broad base of global learners. And suppose they want to build a course in Canvas for matriculated students, but they want to link out to some of that content. Eventually, they'll be able to do that. UC San Diego Online is still under development. We need to integrate Qualtrics. We want to integrate Zoom. We want to integrate proctoring software, Kaltura, Gradescope, Turnitin. So it's we have all those things on the list. It's on the developer's list. And it's just kind of we're, we're one by one prioritizing and making those integrations. You mentioned earlier that students can opt for a certificate of completion or students who are participants, we'll call them, right, from, from right. outside campus would get a, a certificate of completion. So what, what could a person do with that? So, you know, we're modeling this after, again, some of the other third-party platforms, Coursera and edX, that also have enrichment courses, certificate courses. It's not transcriptable. It's not a transcript. It's not a you know, credit-bearing from UC San Diego. But a lot of participants, you can link it to your LinkedIn, they can add it to a resume, they can, you know, it's, it's basically a, a certificate that's signed by the instructor of the course, gives the name of the course, and then shows, it's basically proof that they successfully completed the course. So, you know, I think that, again, for some enrichment courses, you're going to get people taking these that get the statement of, of accomplishment just for their own benefit. They don't need it for job upskilling or reskilling. But you might find other, like this, the computer science courses for K-12 teachers, we actually have those courses linked to uh, learners being able to get through extension transcriptable credit. So they can either take it and just get the statement of accomplishment, or they can actually go one further step and get a certificate for units of credit from the university. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning as well that, you know, we seem to be almost culturally going toward a place where jobs are going to look for things of experience even more than traditional transcripts anyway. Exactly. Think of the whole, again, this whole concept of lifelong learning, right? Where do you go? Suppose you're an alumnus of UC San Diego. So the campus has meaning and credibility to you. So you go to online.ucsd.edu and you look for courses and something sparks your interest and you take it just for your own personal interest or enrichment and you earn the statement of accomplishment. So it's really broadened the type of content that we can make available. Well, this has been so fun and we probably went over time several questions ago, but I have one more. 
<laughs> and uh, that is the whole world is now getting used to more remote work, teaching, learning, and so forth. How big could you expect some of these courses to be in the future? So that's the other thing about this this platform is the Open edX software powers edX, which is all about scalable, the traditional word MOOC type courses. We could have tens of thousands of learners, participants in each of these courses. It depends on you know how they're designed. The courses, as I mentioned, are usually designed that they're self-paced, self-enroll. We let them run for many months so that people can join, even if it's about a five or six week course, they can join at any time you know, during the course. So the design of the course and the platform lends itself to enrollment at scale. For anyone who wasn't sure what MOOC is, that is massive open online course. And some of those that have existed in the past, some of the more popular ones can be hundreds of thousands of students at a time. Exactly. And again, some of our courses will not be that. Some of the courses on this platform will be small. Um, You know, we can limit enrollment. Some might be more high touch in terms of from the instructor, but other ones might be very low touch, self-paced that would lend themselves to having hundreds of thousands of learners. Hey, who knows what the future holds, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Karen, I really want to thank you for coming here and talking to us in a completely different department about what you and your team have been working on. I think we all could really learn a lot from each other. So I hope you can do this again sometime. I look forward to it. And thanks, Miguel, for having me. Again, thank you, Karen, for such a great conversation as ever. The crack research team here at The Current Daily has looked up all the relevant factoids you need to know about Bastille Day. Let's start with the anthem we heard at the top of the show, La Marseillaise. This dates back to 1792 and was officially declared the French national anthem in 1795. As far as national anthems go, it's one of the more bellicose, what with references to bloody flags and throat slittings. So why is July 14th French Independence Day? It all dates back to 1789 and the famous storming of the Bastille in Paris. The Bastille was an armory in prison that had come to represent the dictatorial rule of the monarchy. You see, France was in a rather bad way by the time July 1789 rolled around. The state was basically bankrupt, due in no small part to helping the American revolutionaries fend off the British a few years earlier. To coincide with the bankruptcy, a crop failure led to a national famine, and unemployment soared. The people had had enough, but the last straw was the monarchy and clergy excluding the common people from decision-making on a path forward. The Bastille was duly raided, an event that serves as the symbolic start of the French Revolution. Today, Bastille Day is celebrated much like we celebrate the 4th of July, as fireworks, parades, and other patriotic displays abound. Contrary to popular belief, it is not codified in French law that one must dine on snails and frog legs on Bastille Day. But if in your own private celebrations you want to be très franche and enjoy such a culinary delight, go right ahead, and BTW, it can be delicious. Just saying. Sorry to the vegans out there. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. 
If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.